Welcome to Virtual Student Experiences, where we inspire students to aspire. For more information, please check out our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to VC Season 3. Today's webinar will be a workshop focused on bringing you information on scholarships. If you're new to our program, Virtual Student Experiences, or VSC, is a pro bono initiative spearheaded for students by students. Elite Virtual Student Experiences want to be the inspiration for aspiration. Our goal is to give students around the world an opportunity to hear from professionals in their career industry of interest in a friendly and casual setting. And if you're a student that knows what you want to do in the future, we at VSC want to encourage, allow, and connect with professionals. With VSC, students are given the chance to decide if their career choice fits their personality, skills, and overall interests. Through VSC, you'll be able to hear from a wide variety of guests from a wide variety of seniority levels. And to find out more information and to sign up to be notified about other webinars, you can visit our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. And co-hosting this webinar with me is Trayvon Watase, the founder of Scholars App. Scholars App is a free service provided to students to assist them with finding scholarships. Just last year, Scholars App helped to facilitate over $20 million in scholarships. It is an excellent service that you can find out more about at scholarsapp.com. But before we get started, I just wanna let you all know how this is going to work. So to start, we'll open up with a presentation by Traven and then move into a Q&A talk story while I'll ask him a few more questions about scholarships. If at any time you have a question that you think of, feel free to post it in the Q&A module and we'll get to in the audience Q&A part of the webinar. We highly recommend that you ask questions during this webinar because it's the opportunity to get an answer right here right now, instead of reading about it later in the internet. And just real quickly introducing our VC quarantine members, we have Beckett, Gabby, Jonathan, Coco, Tommy, and Audrey. And so with that, I'll pass it off to Traven. All right, thanks buddy. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Get a second here as I share my screen. Uh, All right, so again, thank you so much for having me. Um, today I'm gonna to be talking about college scholarships. And um, well, first of all, uh, buddy, can you, can you guys see my screen? Is that okay? Yeah, we can see it. All right, awesome. So yeah, today I'm gonna to be talking about college scholarships and then how to apply for them. What do you need to know about it? And basically the objective is, this should be everything that you need to know in order to get a scholarship in order to go to college. This will work if you are a high school senior, if you're a high school junior, if you're a current college student, uh, anywhere from a freshman to a PhD, or even if you're looking to return to college uh, for the first time in many years. All right, so these are the things that I'm, I'm gonna be going over, which is a scholarship FAQs. These are just very basic stuff that I just wanna to touch up before we get started. Um, identifying fraudulent scholarships, finding the legitimate scholarships, the application process, best practices, the process to expect, and common mistakes. All right, so going over a basic um, information about scholarships. Um, so scholarship is money for you to use to go to college or an educational institution. These this money is generally provided by any organization. Uh, it could be for-profit or nonprofit with the majority coming from nonprofit organizations. 
or it can also come from wealthy individuals. The process is, is that um, the most important thing to know about scholarships, and this is what we always get, is that there's a scholarship for everyone. A scholarship, everyone generally, I don't know how to explain this, but usually what we hear is reasons from people of why they think they don't qualify for a scholarship. The truth is, is that there's a scholarship for everyone because every organization, for-profit, nonprofit, individual, they all have their own unique eligibility criteria. So yes, there are the stereotypical top uh, scholarships of, yes, you need a 4.0 GPA in order to apply, or you need X amount of financial need in order to apply, or ethnicity, major, the list goes on. But there is so much of this cross-reference or um, crossing of eligibilities. And there's also very broad eligibilities where some only require you to be a high school senior or a undergraduate freshman, whatever it is, there is a scholarship for everyone to go to college. The next thing that I wanted to touch up is that most scholarships actually do not receive enough applications. So we're actually just looking at the data of this. And what we have found out is that of the scholarships uh, that are submitted, meaning that we have students going through the entire process of you have to qualify for the scholarship, you need to um, you know, obviously fill out the application, then you need to um, you know, get external documents. This could be like transcripts, letters of recommendation, et cetera, uh, to complete your application. And then you finally have a completed application. The breakdown is only 20% of people who actually qualify, that find out they know that they qualify for a scholarship, 100%, and they actually indicate that they will apply, whether it's telling their friend or um, writing it down on a piece of paper that, hey, I qualify for the scholarship, I'm gonna put it down only about 20% of those people actually fill out and submit a completed application. So scholarships are not always, uh, some of them are, but not generally speaking, are not always receiving a lot of applications. Okay, the next thing uh, to go over about scholarships is the difference between private versus institutional scholarships. So a private scholarship is like I said, they're coming from an organization or an individual. Um, this is private money is, is money is actual someone giving out money to a student. An institutional scholarship, this is stuff like where the college or university or educational institution is giving you uh, a discount off of their tuition for going through their application process. And they will still review your application and make a determination based on a review process. But at the end of the day, generally speaking, institutional scholarships do not actually give you cash in hand but when you log in to see how much you owe, there uh, will be a discount or a deduction off of it. And that is how you can really look at it um, other than the source of the difference between private versus institutional. The next thing um, is local versus national scholarships. So we highly recommend uh, that kids apply for local scholarships first. The reason being is that they're generally more tailored to the community. They are, um, and they also don't receive as many applications. National scholarships, those are the uh, types of scholarships that if you're generally speaking, get a lot of applications and therefore your chances of getting that scholarship is actually probably in the single percentages. Uh, so if you go for a local scholarship, we found that the average uh, for a local scholarship for a student to get a scholarship is generally between 25 to 30%. 
So I mean, granted, this is if you have that completed application and that data was act, um, valid as of last year. Uh, all right. The next thing is scholarships are uh, when you, as a student, you go through this entire process. It is not classified as income if it's a legitimate scholarship. So legitimate scholarships are run generally through 501c3s, which are nonprofit tax exempt organizations and can distribute funds for charitable reasons, like giving a student a scholarship. And the student does not have to pay income tax on it. There are certain uh, exceptions for this. So please uh, talk to your donor and or your scholarship provider to ensure this. Uh, because some organizations, they don't actually run the money through a 501c3, which can all result into some problems there. Um, next is that a, a scholarship, uh, it, the process generally takes a while. So from the time that a scholarship will open their application to they'll close it uh, when the deadline is for applications, the committee on average might take about two to three months to review the applications and then um, actually send out award notices. Even when you get the award notice, it is general practice for a scholarship to send the money just before the tuition is due. So in the most uh, standard way I can put this is a high school senior who is applying for scholarships in their high school senior year, like now, um, will apply for all the scholarships and most scholarships will end sometime in the spring or early summer. The scholarship uh, review committee will take probably until July in order to get back to you about who won the applications or not. And then we'll distribute the money, generally speaking, in August. Now, I, I will want to clarify that every scholarship is different and every scholarship has their own process along with everything else of their own eligibilities and everything. So it is important to uh, you know, talk to the donor but if you were to do generalizations about what to expect when you are approaching this um, journey or process or what you want to call it, these are the generalizations that you can expect. All right. So the first caution of warning about going into this application process is that there are fraudulent scholarships that exist. A fraudulent scholarship is an organization that is looking to harvest student information um, in order to sell them a product or resell their data. Generally speaking, um, these organizations that want to sell your data are exist in other countries. Uh, particularly, we're seeing a lot of fraudulent scholarships from India, West Africa, and uh, some places in the Middle East that are targeting American students in order to get their information to resell it. Another um, indication of a fraudulent scholarship uh, could be um, these like sometimes we see sweepstakes scholarships or contests and they're trying to um, disguise themselves as a scholarship for the uh, student good but then when you're reading their terms and conditions sometimes it's like you don't expect an awardee to be noticed until five to ten years from now it's you really got to check out the um, information in the scholarships when going through this so um in how you can indicate if a scholarship is fraudulent or not is number one, like I just said, right? If you read the terms and conditions, which I know everyone enjoys to do, and you find out that the scholarship is gonna be awarding in four to five years, that is a great indication. Um, another thing is uh, using references of um, 
uh, what do you call that, uh, contest and sweepstakes. Um, if you, if we, um, we are do it in a very technical way where we actually check the IP addresses of where these emails are coming from and websites. And w when we get um, emails sent to us, we, um, we can also identify the IP addresses in which when you trace it back, if it's in another country, uh, especially with the countries that are highlighted where there are, seem to be surging, um, that's a great indicator. Uh, but for the common person to uh, find out if a scholarship is legitimate or not, here are the best ways to do it. Number one, majority of scholarships, like I say, come from a 501c3 organization. Because these organizations are um, tax exempt, uh, they're also all their information must be public. So therefore a great search engine for this is guidestar.org in which you can look up the name of the organization to see if it's tax exempt. If it is tax exempt and in the IRS database, then that is a great indication that that is a probably uh, a legitimate scholarship. Uh, the next thing that you can do is, um, uh, uh, when the application is too easy. So when you, if you heard the saying of, you know, if it's too good to be true, that's a really great uh, message for scholarships. Real scholarships are fueled by donors who are passionate about helping a particular type of student. That means that the application is geared in order to find a particular type of student, which means that there's actually an eligibility process. So for example, if a scholarship is open to Hawaii high school seniors who um, graduated from Punahou High School who majored in business, you can also interpret from that that it's funded by a guy who graduated from Punahou and majored in business. Right? And then that's why they made those eligibility requirements because they wanna help a student just like that person. So because of that, um, when you see scholarships that are just way too broad of like, this is open to 14 year olds or 16 year or just all 16 year olds and above can apply, that is an indication of a fraudulent scholarship. Uh, however, I do wanna say that those types of scholarships do exist legitimately and is only an indication. The next big thing is that the application process. Again, this ties back to the passionate donor that I'm using this example from Punahou High School, I mean, from Punahou Schools. And um, their application process will probably be something around those guidelines of like the questions that they wanna know about the student. Here is a particular essay question that I want you to answer. Here are some short uh, questions that I want you to answer as well. And then, you know, the application process, general information, contact information, what school you going to, all that stuff. And then even letters of recommendation because they want credibility and they also transcripts to verify you. Um, along with other documentations, of course. So when you see a scholarship where it's like apply in five minutes or less, you're probably gonna get your data stolen in, in most general uh, circumstances there. Um, when it's too good to be true, just think about it as run away. Uh, so now one, let's say that you actually found a scholarship and then that's how you background check them to start through GuideStar. What can you really do? Honestly, there's not much. So yes, there is a government website where you can report fraudulent scholarships and that's all listed there. However, you know, if they can go in and check and then they uh, say, hey, I awarded 10, 10 scholarships for, you know, whatever amounts, um, that's technically a legitimate scholarship and what can you do? 
the best thing that I would recommend that um, you do is whoever gave you that scholarship or whoever uh, helped you find it. Or if you know of any scholarships uh, or people that are promoting scholarships, be sure to send this their way and make sure that they are no longer spreading the word out about those scholarships as that is probably the best thing that can be done in the quickest way to help your local community out of their data being stolen. All right, so now that we move past the, the unfun side of this industry, um, let's talk about going into how to actually get the legitimate scholarships. So like I said, um, generally speaking, uh, um, someone's gonna help you find a scholarship. Um, yes, there are these great people that are uh, self-motivated and will just take the reins by themselves, but generally speaking, you're gonna want some help and uh, there's a lot of great resources at the school that you either want to attend or the school that you currently go to as they have usually someone dedicated or if not a whole team dedicated to help you out with scholarships. So first and foremost, go to your school. After you go through your school and then you ask them for all the resources, then you can go into, um, uh, what do you call that? Uh, search engines. Um, so like when you look up a scholarship search engine, you put in stuff there. Now you do have to be careful as most search engines do post um, fraudulent scholarships and do not background check them. So even if you do find a scholarship, it'll be good to, um, what do you call that? Uh, uh, background check them yourselves, especially if they have the indicators that I pointed out. The next thing is a local organizations where scholarship providers are generally um, doing this as a side project. I would say in most situations, this is uh, run by volunteers. So they're not putting in or even have the resources to put in a lot of uh, help into marketing and getting the word out. So contacting your local big organizations in your community, um, they generally have scholarships and reaching out and asking if they do. The next thing is, is that employers, uh, when you have a job, they um, sometimes have some tuition assistance programs, which can also be a scholarship that is only open to their employees. All right, so now that you went through this entire process and then you were weeding out the non-legitimate scholarships and you found some legitimate scholarships, you read their eligibility, you're ensured that you qualify for this scholarship. How do you apply? So again, I must stress this because I'm going to get into the, the most common mistakes. Always read the instructions. Majority of people do not read the instructions. And that results to you putting in on average two to five hours of work if not someone else's time, like a teacher to write a letter of recommendation for you. And for your application to be disqualified, all because you didn't wanna do 10 minutes of reading. It's one of the most saddest things ever that we see, but it happens so often and it's honestly human behavior. So I must stress this enough, I'm going over generalizations. Every scholarship is different. Please read the instructions of every scholarship. But here are the generalizations to uh, prepare. So number one, obviously you have the application, which is the general information that you have to submit. Um, you would be cautious as some applications do require students to submit their last four digits of your social security number. Now in the scholarships defense, this is so that when they send the money to your um, school, they can use those last four digits along with your name to ensure that the scholarship money gets directed to your account and that is the, generally speaking, the reason why they ask for that information. But in an application where these donors are generally volunteering and they're asking for your name, your address, your contact information, maybe even your birthday, 
along with your last four digits of your social security number. This is called PII information, personal identifiable information. And when you go into submitting it, there are a lot of ways that submission can be insecure and in getting into security of the transitioning uh, of that data. So uh, be careful about that. And it, e it even is fair to ask the donor to say like, hey, I'm not, com I'm really looking forward to applying for your scholarship. I'm not comfortable putting my last four digits of my social security number. Um, if I should be, have the opportunity to receive your scholarship, is it okay to provide you that information securely after uh, that? I think that is totally okay. Again, every scholarship is different. Or you can also put in your student ID number of your college if you already have that. So fill out the application. Then you have an essay. It's usually custom per the donor, uh, where every donor um, has their own essay questions, but some require just a personal statement. FAFSA, so please fill that out, especially for financial, financial need-based scholarships. They're going to want to see your FAFSA. Next is transcripts and letters of recommendation. Transcripts generally are um, provided by your school, so you got to coordinate with them. And letters of recommendation, these are not your family members or your friends, and will get your application dismissed, uh, usually disqualified immediately if, you, if they see that. Um, and uh, what do you call that? These should generally come from teachers, coaches, pastors, uh, co-workers, bosses, et cetera. But also some scholarships, again, I must stress this, um, require uh, letters of recommendation to come from a certain source. So personally, I've seen scholarships that require letters of recommendation coming from certain teachers, even if it is something as niche as it must come from your assigned teacher. Um, so go ahead. Uh, so again, reading the instructions can make or break your application very easily. So the next thing that you can do to prepare um, is that's the general stuff that most scholarships require. Then there's some other uh, things as well. So we have scholarships that do require birth certificates to uh, go over um, ethnicity uh, to verify that. We have um, uh, some scholarships uh, require you to upload a uh, class schedule to verify if you're full-time or part-time or resumes as well. Those are some of the uncommon documents that we generally see. Oh, and sorry, a video, um, a video introduction of yourself. Those are um, not as common as the, you know, the four things as I listed above, but um, it'll be good to have that all saved somewhere. So those documents are ready to go when you are applying for the scholarships, just in case. So um, going into now that you got everything together, you've read the instructions and you have a completed application. Now you must submit the application it is very interesting to us uh, to see how many scholarships actually require the um, student to mail it in uh, their application along with sometimes the donor actually requires the student to submit their application and then for the school to submit the transcript in another mailer and then the letters of recommendation to send that in another mailer as well. So everyone is sending in like three to five mails <coughs> that they want <coughs> in all separate things because I guess donors just love, uh, some of these donors just love watch uh, opening envelopes, um, whatever it is. And, uh, but, the, but the reason for that in all seriousness is because the donor does not want the student to tamper with the transcript or tamper with the letter of recommendation or to see an honest letter of recommendation that might not be that great for the student and then they replace it. This keeps it um, everything transparent, I mean, um, sorry, honest. 
So the donor has a really good snapshot of the student who they've never met as well uh, to be able to award them money. So that's why some of the practices are like that. Now, granted, that is kind of the old school way. There are online forms like Google Forms I see scholarships on. There are built-in portals and some are over email. So going into this, again, this is going into how you, um, you know, when you're sending in all this information, which even without the social security number is security, uh, you know, it has some sensitivity there in terms of security. Um, be careful how you're submitting it um, to the donor and always make sure that, um, you know, things are encrypted when possible or you're handling it off in person. Um, and it's also fair to ask if the, your application will be destroyed after uh, the review process and your, what will happen to your data after that, um, after a submission process. So these are all things that you need to be aware of as you're applying. Now, granted, again, donors are very passionate about helping the community. They are not doing these things uh, on purpose, or at least the legitimate ones, uh, which is the majority, um, to do this to make students not want to apply, but it's part of the process there. Okay. So now, what is the best practices knowing all of this? Um, say, you know, you want to apply for a scholarship this year, or you want to go to school next year, or even three to four years from now, um, the best thing you can do is researching, number one, is researching all the scholarships and seeing which ones you actually qualify for. Create a list of them. You're going to want at least their name, the name of the scholarship, the organization, because also going into the part where you're background checking these scholarships, right? The name of the scholarship does not Use, does not always match the name of the organization. So in a perfect example of this, um, I have I also give out a scholarship called the PB&J scholarship. That is um, under my organization name of scholar sponsor. So if you look up the PB&J scholarship on GuideStar, you're not going to find anything. You got to look up scholar sponsor. So you got to look at the donor's website to see what is the organization name sponsoring the scholarship as well. And also another good example of this is um, scholarships that are done in memory of other people or memory of a board of director or their past president or their late president, et cetera. Um, obviously the name of that scholarship will not match the organization. So in that uh, situation there, um, again, you're gonna want the name of the scholarship that you qualify for, their organization and contact information along with information along what will be required upon the application and um, uh, when does the scholarship open and when is the deadline? Create that list. The next thing is once you're finding all these scholarships, email them, confirm your information is correct on your list and also subscribe to any newsletters because again, you also gotta take into consideration that these donors are volunteering their time. They don't get paid to give out scholarships, generally speaking. So, um, you know, they might forget you know, with their full-time job that they have to do and um, other things, and they forgot about a volunteering project to send out an email, subscribe to their newsletters um, so that just in case that they send it out that way, our scholarship is now open or we're extending our deadline, which happens a lot, um, you will get a word of that. From this list, I I'll recommend that you create a calendar with reminder invites. Now these reminder, in, uh, uh, sorry, re reminder events. These reminder events, I'm gonna get very technical here because um, you know, on, on the data that we have, with only 20% being a completed application out of the 100% that state that they qualify for it, you know, there's so many steps that gets missed along this process that that is the reason why it's only 
So um, you're, you're going to want to create a calendar to remind yourself to not only fill it, fill out the application, but also for you to follow up with your letters of recommendation and your counselors. So another cool data point that we have from last year, well, not cool, it's uh, very sad, honestly, where um, a student will fully qualify for a scholarship. They will submit every single document, write the essay, write everything and do everything that they're supposed to do, but they forget to follow up their, with their recommender or they tell their recommender too late or their counselor, uh, does, they, do, they didn't send their counselor their um, transcript request form to allow the school to submit the, the, uh, their transcript out to an external organization. That's all um, adds up. And about 10% of all applications last year um, were dismissed because a third party uh, did not submit their documentation. So when you're sending a reminder events, also set reminder events to give adequate time to um, remind your recommender and your counselors to submit their part as well. And again, be mindful of them, tell them early, uh, get it done early, and also tell them, also tell your recommenders as well, please read the instructions because sometimes they ask some custom questions that get missed. A next thing is also attending any donor events possible. If they're throwing an event, you might as well be there, get to know the committee. It will remember you because so few students show up. And then at the end of the application process, follow up with them. All right, so this is where it gets uh, fun because now, now we're talking about how to get to this 20% of get your application into this top 20%. But now we're gonna talk about when you're in this top 20%, <laughs> how can you, uh, what happens uh, that, you know, get your application reviewed properly reviewed um you know and also to try and win it the biggest common mistakes is like i just said for the missing documents from third parties 10 percent of all applications are dismissed because of that so follow up with them um i saw i think this was this was data from about i think it was three years ago or something uh so it's not it's not up to date but we heard that one organization actually dismissed 50 percent of all completed applications because the student forgot to sign the application. Madness, absolute madness. You do all that work just because of a signature. Um, what we also have that year a lot, which doesn't get you any brownie points at all with these donors is, yes, students, a lot of these questions that the um, donors ask for essay-wise, they overlap in a lot of places, but that doesn't mean you write an essay for a scholarship and reuse it without any modifications or and or especially the title of the document. Because yes, the donor can sometimes see the title of your document. So if they see that your essay that you uploaded is the title of another scholarship, <laughs> which happens a lot, it doesn't help It doesn't help your case out. It's, it's honestly a very funny thing that uh, we talk about, um, you know, between us and our, and our donors. It happens every year. Uh, it's, yeah, so just be careful about that. Uh, the next thing is, is that you're sending out your essays via Dropbox, Google Drive, and not giving permission to the donors. This counts as an incomplete application if you are unable to give them the permissions um, by the deadline uh, for most cases. Some donors are very lenient about this, but you know, just to be careful about it. And the same thing, when you're, if the donor asks for a video on YouTube um, and you mark it as private and they cannot view it by the deadline, that can also result into a dismissed application. 
So all this, these things seen right here, it is very easy to say that even if you get your application in the top 20%, all of these things combined, even of the completed application, I'll say 50% of applications, uh, not just the missing signature in this part, are missing something of one of these things. And because of that, your application will be dismissed even if it is completed. So these are the biggest common mistakes that we've seen, um, especially from last year. So I hope that this was helpful um, in terms of helping you to prepare for scholarships. Um, here's my contact information if anyone has any questions and I'd love to answer any questions that you guys have. Yeah, awesome. Uh, we have one question that is relevant to the section that we just covered and that is, what do you mean by encrypting? I think it's referencing when you're submitting application, what do you mean by encrypting and how do applicants encrypt? So, um, I, this is my technical way and also, um, uh, you know, there's email encryptions available um, from Hawaii. There's a great company called Pellbox that does it, um, that um, will allow you to encrypt your emails and send everything securely through encryption. Um, another way is actually by fax. Um, because apparently that is encrypted. Don't ask me how it works. I have no idea. But I know that healthcare uses it instead of encrypted email. So uh, there is that. Um, so yeah, in, in, in encryption, you can also, technically speaking, Google Drive is encrypted to some extent. Now, would I trust Google Drive with my social security number and that type of information? Probably not. But um, using those types of encrypted um, softwares, uh, whether it's by email or sending it out through Google Drive, Dropbox, et cetera, um, those will be there. But also, again, be careful when you're doing that, especially when you're talking about social security numbers. Awesome. Thanks for answering that. And then um, I guess let's just engage in a short Q&A talk story. Um, can you tell us about the differences between financial aid and scholarship? Yeah, so a financial aid, that is government funded. So um, basically, it, it's very much a calculation based on a timeline um, of when you apply. So the earlier you apply for it, the more money that is available, the more uh, chances are that you'll get the full amount that you deserve. Um, and by the definition of full amount that you deserve is that throughout this application process, you're going to be assigned a number from the government called a EFC number, which stands for Estimated Family Contribution, which is basically means how much money can you and your family afford to pay off your college? So if, um, in a general, general um, uh, calculation, right? Let's say your tuition is $20,000 a year, your estimated family contribution is $10,000. That means that uh, the government thinks that you can contribute $10,000 to your tuition um, and you'll have a $10,000 discrepancy in which um, they will do their own calculations to see how much of that they can uh, fulfill. So uh, if you do get money from the government, they're called grants. And that is, the big one is the Pell Grant. That is a max of about $5,000 a year. And for, sorry, uh, financial is very different. So I think it's up to four years, but please talk to someone who knows more about financial aid than I do. Um, and then there's even these things called opportunity grants that are hosted by the school themselves. So um, the school, if you actually qualify for it, they will actually give you cash um, in that situation. It's not an institutional scholarship where they just deduct it off. You can actually get cash if the amount that um, you are owed um, is exceeding. Yeah, sorry. So if, um, if they give you too much money, you can actually get cash back for your tuition. Sorry. So that is the main difference, government funding versus that. Um, 
and it's a calculation. There's the application process is if you qualify or not, you get money rather than a donor will require things like an essay and make a, a personal judgment uh, based off of um, what is expected or what is submitted on your application. And then I guess, are scholarships usually school specific or generally education-based funds provided to students that don't have any specific usage rules? And then for the ones that don't have specific usage rules, how often do you see those scholarships come up? Uh, so there are definitely school specific roles. I mean, all institutional scholarships by default are school specific in that situation as they're, you know, U, UH will not give you uh, money to go to HPU, right? Um, in that situation. Um, but there are school specific scholarships coming from the private industry too. And that requires, um, is in the eligibility requirement usually where, well, always in the eligibility requirement where they'll say, you must be coming from this high school, for example, and going to this college. Or there's even transitioning scholarships where you could be going from a certain college and going to another college and they will give you um, a scholarship based on that. Um, and sorry, what was the other part of the question? And so how often do the opportunities where students can spend the money on whatever they want come up? Very rarely. Um, so there are, I would say, in the, because the main objective of a scholarship is to pay for your tuition books and fees, right? Um, and that's the main thing. Uh, however, there are scholarships like, well, like for example, my scholarship. Um, I actually Venmo the kids money uh, because I want the kids to get it. And um, I understand uh, for me, because it's uh, sponsored by me mainly and uh, some other people as well, thankfully, but I get to make the decision on it. And for my scholarship, I'm trying to help out kids who um, have unusual circumstances. And those unusual circumstances might mean, hey, you need help paying your rent. Um, because of the what they went through. So I, it really depends on donor to donor. It is a very rare thing that to even send a student money is very rare, I would say. Or not rare, I would say it, it happens a good amount. But you know, even if they send it to you, for, you're required to use that for your tuition books and fees. You might have to sign a document saying that you did, maybe even provide receipts. Um, and that's why um, scholarships do generally have um, the money sent directly to the school and you know, again, ask you for your social security number, last four digits, and your student ID because they wanted to go to tuition books and fees. Uh, so I would say that is very rare. And then in general, what do scholarships require from students? Or what do most scholarships require from students? And then what should students focus on most when applying to scholarships? Reading the instructions, that's what you should focus on most. Again, that's the biggest, biggest thing where so many applications are dismissed because of uh, the student un, uh, did not read the exact question um, that the donors want answered. So when, um, when looking at what the donors want most from a student is they're just trying to help out, they're very passionate about helping out a certain type of student based on, you know, and they're trying to find that student, again, based on their eligibility, based on the application, based on the questions that they're asking. Um, like a perfect example of this is we have a scholarship that is um, for descendants or people currently of union members of, of a particular union in Hawaii. So all of their questions are about, tell us about the union, right? They want, they are asking those questions and you have to be part of the union in order to apply. Uh, so, or you're a family member. Uh, so of course they're gonna want you to, they don't wanna hear about your academic life as much, right? They wanna have a focus on the union side of it. Now granted they will ask you about all this stuff, but if you focus on what they're really asking you here and not generally, you know, especially with the 
what was it, the Common App, um, or ask students to just um, upload a personal uh, personal statement, which is one to two pages long. If you upload that for every scholarship you qualify for, you're probably not going to get much. Um, really is well based on the personal questions uh, that the donor asks and what they're looking for. Um, and then what what a student can do to prepare and say is like is really looking for the scholarships that you're eligible for, uh, because you know again the scholarship is for a union. Um, obviously, um, you know, if you can, I wouldn't say join unions and credit unions and banks just because of it. Um, I mean, there are people that do that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily highly recommend it. I mean, granted, if you, you know, you're, you have an option of like, okay, do I want this job or this job, but this one offers a bigger scholarship, you know, that's all you guys do, uh, to decide on your own, but um, really it is just looking for what you're eligible for. And then in terms of looking at timeline, when should students start um, looking for scholarships and then actually starting the application uh, for different scholarships? So if you're in high school, it, it is fair, fair game to say as soon as possible, like in the, in the terms of even sophomore years, um, there apparently are fellowships. I wouldn't say as much scholarships available, but you definitely see some fellowships that do include, you know, some tuition assistance when you do go there. There are uh, stuff like Raise Me that will help you out um, when you report things. Um, so in that situation, you can start as soon as possible uh, when you're in high school. Um, for a rule of thumb, you might want to start at least a year before when your tuition is due, um, or and at bare minimum, because again, this whole cycle that a donor goes through, the you know getting their application out there, getting students to apply, deadline, meet with the committee to review the applications, pick a winner, notify them, get a word back from the um, the winner that they accept the award and any other documents like you know wanting a um, a video or a testimonial from the student, what they're going to use the money for, for they can put it up on the website, social media, etc. And then getting the money that um, it'll be best to do that a year before uh, the first tuition payment is due. Granted, there are some scholarships that are fast, right, that um, you can, um, you know, the, you, you apply in, um, you know, a few months before and you still get it and they'll pay it off. But uh, for the max, I would say to make sure that you are applying for as many scholarships that you are eligible for in that time period, a year, and maybe even just to hedge my bet on this or hedge it a little bit from my side, a year and a half um, ahead. But I would say the vast majority of scholarships will open up in uh, spring and will get you money before your tuition is due, generally speaking, in August. Awesome. And then just to close this off, can you give us some common traits of strong scholarship applicants? Again, sorry, the ones that the ones that listen to the instructions because it's really um, anyone can apply for a scholarship mm -hmm. because of what the eligibility requirements are. So it's it's not it's hard to say what the generalizations of what a strong applicant are because um, you know every scholarship is different. Somewhat there there are scholarships that require you to have below a two point five GPA, in which that won't make you a strong candidate, right? Or um, you know whatever else it is. So what is the bare generalization for every applicant that is applying for a scholarship is that they're able to listen to the instructions or read the instructions that the donors have and personalize and tailor the entire application process to that donor. This also means going to your letter of recommender and saying, hey, I saw that these uh, donors have these personal uh, questions um, that they want you to answer about me. So actually, so again, sorry, in my, uh, situation for my PBNJ scholarship, I want the donor to not talk about academic success, 
I want to talk about, I want to hear about the challenges and actually uh, for them to cooperate it. So for that student to actually take the initiative to actually talk to their donor and say, hey, I, uh, thank you so much for helping me out with this. Um, this donor has these special um, uh, questions. Uh, I just wanted to confirm with you that you answered uh, them. And then if you have any questions or if I can tell you more about um, about me and then so you have more information to answer these questions, that would be the way to go. A strong, the applicants that generally get the uh, scholarships are the ones that personalize it more to the donor, answer all of the questions and fit very nicely like a glove to what the donor is looking for in uh, terms of their eligibility requirements. Awesome, I mean, thank you so much for answering those questions. Uh, I don't think that we have any audience questions at the time, um, but as you heard, we had a couple of them that um, you were able to answer. So thank you so much for that. Um, that just about concludes our workshop for today. So for those in the audience, I highly encourage you all to visit scholarsapp.com to learn more about the scholarship process and sign up for different scholarships. And of course, as Traven very clearly emphasized, read the instructions and get to know this scholarship in, in its full picture. So yeah, thank you so much, Traven, for joining us today and teaching us all about scholarships. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a nice day.